0: My name is Josh Caterer, I am the worship pastor here at Village Bible Church, but uh, perhaps the most impressive part of my ministry is that I also serve on the parking team for the garage sale. <laughs> and uh, th- things get pretty hairy there, especially on, uh, on Friday morning, the first day. The, the garage sale starts at 9, but by about 8.50 the parking lot is full. And cars are still streaming in. And, you know, Steph was saying, like, she's not sure where we're parking all those cars. Frankly, I'm not sure either. We, we were, we're parking them on the grass. We're parking them in the woods. We're parking them on the roof. We're parking cars on top of each other. It's crazy. I don't know. But, uh, you know, everybody got out relatively unscathed. And God did a great work providing for our missions ministry through that sale. So uh, praise him for that. And uh, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to step into the pulpit this morning. Actually, I'm excited just not to have to move the pulpit this morning. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm usually the guy that drags this thing over here for Pastor Tim. And I don't know if you've ever tried to lift this thing, but it weighs about 400 pounds. It's like made out of solid plutonium or something. I don't know if that's supposed to help you preach better, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out. I'm just uh, happy to be standing behind this formidable piece of furniture and ready to open God's Word and look into what He has for us this morning. So before we do that, let's uh, commit this to prayer. Father God, thank you for your goodness. We think today, especially on Memorial Day weekend, of the... Uh, blessing of uh, freedom that we have in this country. We thank you for the, the freedoms that we enjoy and for all the people that have sacrificed and even laid down their lives for the protection of those freedoms. We don't take that lightly, Lord. So we praise you for the gift, even, even at this moment, of being able to gather in the name of Jesus and, and meet together openly for worship. We know that... Uh, That has been a hard-fought freedom that we thank you for. We thank you for bringing us all together this morning. I ask you to guide me as I speak, Lord. May your Holy Spirit open all of our hearts to receive what you would have for us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk this morning about the power of testimony, a message entitled The Power of Testimony. Testimony is a powerful thing. In a recent article about advertising techniques, professional PR and marketing expert Simon Grant wrote this, the importance of testimonials cannot be overstated. Our research tells us that nine out of ten people trust what a customer says about a business more than what that business says about itself. As a result, customers are likely to spend 31% more with a business that has good customer testimonials. So testimony is a powerful thing in the world of advertising. It's also a powerful thing in a court of law. In 2018, criminal defense attorney Jarrett Malet wrote an article about the way evidence is evaluated in court. And he said this, in the justice system, Eyewitness testimony plays an important role in the determination of guilt. Jurors trust an eyewitness because a firsthand account often seems more credible than hearsay or presented pieces of evidence. If someone was present, saw what happened, recalled it clearly, and answered under oath, why shouldn't the jury trust that person's information? Testimony is indeed a powerful thing. In advertising and in a court of law. And it's also a very powerful thing in the life of a Christian. Our testimonies, the way we share our story of what God has done in our lives. This has power in a variety of ways. First of all, our testimony obviously is an important tool for evangelism, right? If we're talking to non-Christian people about Jesus... A testimony can often be more effective than just giving people information about God, like quoting Bible verses at them or trying to explain theological concepts to them. Stuff like that can seem kind of uh, like abstractions to people who haven't grown up around it and they're not familiar with it. They don't know what we're talking about. But a testimony can take that out of the realm of the abstract and make it relatable make it seem real, and it uh, can have the power to soften somebody's heart, make them open to the gospel because they see what has happened in your life and what God God has given to you, and they, they see something that they want, and I want to experience that as well. But I don't want you to think that this message is all just about evangelism or about You know, how to reach lost people with the gospel. As important as that is, our testimonies are powerful in other ways as well within the life of our church as a whole. We share testimonies with each other to encourage each other in our faith. And an amazing example of that is when we have baptisms. Last Sunday, we had baptisms in our services. And every time somebody gets baptized, they share their testimony along with it. And, and there's a video or sometimes we'll have people, you know, read their testimonies and somebody with like a trembling piece of paper in their hands will be talking about you know, what, how God got a hold of them, how they came to know the Lord and the difference that Jesus has made in their lives since then. And uh, I don't know about you, but I always, when I hear those stories and I see people getting baptized... It just always stirs something up in my heart because I remember what God has done for me and it reminds me of the way that he got a hold of me in the first place and I'm so amazed that he even does that. And I'm like, God, you are so good. Hallelujah, makes me want to praise him all the more. So testimonies have power to reach the lost, power to encourage other believers. But testimon- testimonies can also be powerful uh, to strengthen our own faith and, and to encourage ourselves in, in times of, of need. You know, we go through difficult times. We feel overwhelmed. Uh, God seems distant from us, and we, we're tempted to despair. And in a time like that, one of the most important tools that we have is to recall what God has done for us, to remind ourselves of the ways that God has been faithful to us and the ways that he has undeniably worked in our lives and to begin to meditate on those things and to begin to articulate those things even in prayer in essence sharing our testimony with ourselves and it has a way of lifting our spirits like nothing else can and making us feel reconnected to God And feel like we're standing on solid ground again no matter what it is that we're going through so it's important for us to have those things at the forefront of our minds and to be able to recall quickly uh, what our testimony is and to be able to communicate it clearly whether it's to other Christians to lost people or to ourselves now you might be saying to yourself Josh that's all well and good but I'm no good at that. Like, I, I, I know God's been good to me. I know he's blessed me in many ways, but I'm just not good at organizing my thoughts or communicating those things or expressing those things. I'm just not a testimony kind of person. Okay, don't panic. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna look at a passage of scripture today that's gonna help us to do that. Turn to Psalm 116 in your Bibles, we're going to look at the first eight verses of this psalm, and it's going to serve as a kind of a testimony template for us, in which we will see the essential components of what a powerful testimony should be. Psalm 116, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. And when I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Amen. Amen. Now that's a testimony right there. I want to talk about some of the general qualities of that testimony, and then we'll move on to spend some time just looking at verse 8, where we'll find some of the essential components of a powerful testimony. But let's start with the general qualities of this testimony. The first one is that it is personal. This testimony is personal. The psalm starts off with this amazing five-word opening phrase in verse 1. I love the Lord because... That is a perfect way to start a personal testimony. Your testimony is basically your way of finishing that sentence. I love the Lord because... And the details and where the story goes from there is going to look different for every person because we all have different stories. But if that's your starting point, you really can't go wrong. A lot of times we're nervous about talking to people about Jesus, especially if it is an unbeliever because we don't know if we're going to wind up in a situation where they're like asking us a bunch of questions we don't know how to answer and we're going to feel like we're in over our heads. Or maybe we're going to wind up in an argument with somebody or like a debate type of situation where we're trying to defend like, theological positions that we don't really feel equipped to communicate. But the truth is, we don't have to do that. Your testimony is not an argument, and it's not a debate. It's your own story. And nobody can argue with your own story of what happened to you. You don't have to be an expert theologian. You just have to be an eyewitness. All the theology you need is going to be contained in your story, just like it is contained in the verses that we're looking at in Psalm 116. These verses are filled with theological truth about who God is and how he relates to people and the plan of salvation. It's all in there. It's just presented as a testimony, and that makes it very personal. So it's personal. Secondly, it's relational. What's being described here is a relationship. He says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He inclined his ear to me. It's a picture of somebody talking to God and God answering. It's it's interactive. And we want people to know that what we have is a relationship with God. I'm sure you've heard this phrase, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And we, that, that needs to be expressed in the way that we talk about our testimony is that what this is is a real relationship with the living God. And as I said, that, that is useful not only in communicating with non-Christians, but we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes when we go through those valleys when God feels distant from us. And we all go through those. I know some of, those, some, some of us in this room that have been you know, walking with the Lord for many years, you can attest to this. It just happens. You go through these seasons where you feel kind of spiritually dry and you might be going through a trial of some kind. You feel like your prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling and, and where is God in all of this? And you get discouraged and you start to have doubts. And in times like that, we need to be able to recall the times when God was so real and so present and and his working was so evident in our lives and these things that God has undeniably done for us in our lives and if we can kinda reconnect ourselves to those things we can find encouragement for our own soul and that is exactly actually what's happening in this psalm. particularly if you look at verse 7 you will see it says Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He's, he's talking to his own soul, talking to himself, really. You feel like you're, you're reading a journal entry, and he's just saying to himself, like, dude, chill. <laughs> Why are you so freaked out? Don't you remember how good God has been to you? Don't you remember those times when God was... Was there for you. He's the same God. He's still there for you. Don't let your feelings dictate your your perception of the reality. The reality is that God will never leave you, never forsake you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. And you have a relationship with Him. So a testimony is personal, it's relational, and thirdly, it's honest what is being shared in this psalm here is some pretty raw stuff, right? He's not sugarcoating his own life story. He's talking about being in distress and anguish and being brought low and pleading with God for mercy. I mean, that's a pretty vulnerable kind of story. And we need to be willing to be honest like that really honest about the low points in our life even if it maybe paints us in a in a light that seems unfavorable because it shows our weakness but those are the moments when God really shows up and proves himself to be real and powerful and merciful and loving So we need to be able to talk honestly about those things. And when we do, God is powerfully glorified. His strength is displayed in our weakness, and that needs to be part of our testimony. So those are the general qualities of the testimony, personal, relational, honest. And then in verse 8, the testimony is kind of summed up beautifully with like these three kind of bullet points. It says, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. And what we see there are three components of a powerful testimony. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking those three things one at a time. Three components of a powerful testimony. The first one is salvation. It says at the beginning of that verse, you have delivered my soul from death. Now, the person who's writing this, many scholars uh, attribute this, Psalm 116, to King David, who wrote most of the book of Psalms, and there's reason to believe that he wrote this psalm, although we don't know exactly for sure. It's, it's kind of a, like a book of Hebrews type situation where scholars Are pretty sure it was probably Paul who wrote that. There's a chance it was somebody else. But really it doesn't matter because it's still God's word. And it's the same deal here where it's probably King David who wrote it. Maybe there's a chance it was somebody else. Either way, this is a divinely inspired piece of writing. And um, if we just take it at face value, what we can know about this person, whoever it was, is it was somebody... Who had come face to face with death in some way. Because they say, the snares of death encompassed me, there in verse 3, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Now, Sheol is a word that people don't use that often anymore. It is a Hebrew word that literally means the place of the dead, and in some translations, that is rendered just as the grave. So it's like the grave laid hold of me. It's like a picture of like one of those old monster movies where like, or like the thriller video I think it happens where this hand just comes shooting up out of the ground and it's like, and then it grabs hold of a person and it says then I suffered distress and anguish because that's what happened. That's naturally what happens when the grave grabs hold of you and won't let go. You're a little distressed and you're in anguish. But what is, was it some sort of near-death experience that caused this? We don't know the exact circumstances, since we're not sure if it was David or not. Now, David was a person who was, you know, had experiences in battle and was pursued by enemies who were trying to kill him. Um, maybe it was that. Maybe it was uh, somebody who got really sick, and they were on their deathbed, and they had come back from that. So it was like they felt at that moment like the grave was like grabbing a hold of them, but I'm inclined to think that it it, it wasn't, there may have been some physical uh, threat involved, but that wasn't the thing that was really causing their soul anguish. I believe it was bigger than that. It was a spiritual crisis, what you might call an existential crisis, where this person, having come face to face with death, began to wrestle with their own mortality and the inevitability of their death. And this was what was causing anguish to their soul, because it says in the next verse, then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. They're not saying, deliver me from the hand of my enemy, or deliver me from this illness, or keep me alive or deliver me from any of this stuff. It's deliver my soul. They're concerned with their soul. They feel like a, a, a kind of spiritual anguish. And only the Lord can help with that. So they call on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And their testimony is that when they prayed that, the Lord heard their prayer and answered it And delivered their soul from death and I got to tell you the reason why I love this passage of Scripture so much and I chose to preach on it today because pastor Tim told me you know you're preaching and it's not part of a series you can preach on whatever you want I'm like whatever i want like there's this is a big book there's a lot of stuff in there can you give me any he's like just whatever As the Lord leads, just pray about it. So I prayed about it. And uh, pretty quickly, this passage of Scripture was impressed upon my heart because it has always been a very meaningful passage to me in my own life because I can relate to it 100%. (laughs) Like, his story is my story. Um... Some of you are familiar with my testimony. I mean, I've shared it here during a message a few years ago. And some other people have told me that they've seen, you know, videos online. I've shared it in other church situations, and there's YouTube videos about that. So people say, you know, thank you for sharing that. But it's like you you know then that there's this this pivotal point in my own story that is like a near-death experience that was drug-related where I thought I was gonna die and then I became uh, you know I, I started to pray to a God that I had not previously known but what was going on to bring me to that point what was driving the self-destructive behavior and the, the substance abuse What was actually motivating all of that is exactly what he's talking about in this psalm, Because I felt the snares of death encompassing me in my life. I I did not know the Lord. I did not have any hope beyond the grave. And I came to a point in my life where I started to become really preoccupied with my own mortality, everything just seemed pointless to me, life itself seemed pointless. If it's all just going to end in total nothingness and annihilation, I thought there was nothing after death. I was like, well, what's the point then? And I just couldn't shake that feeling. And I tried to run from it, I tried to drink it away, I tried to drug it away, I tried to fill my life with all sorts of things that were going to distract me from it so I didn't have to face the reality of death, but eventually all that stuff doesn't work anymore. And just like the author of this psalm, I began to feel the pangs of Sheol had just laid hold on me, and there was that near-death experience that I had with drugs, but it, it, it just was uh, part of a larger existential despair that I was feeling about life, and my soul was in anguish. And just like the author of this psalm, I called on the Lord to deliver my soul. And God heard and answered my prayer and showed me that the deliverance that I needed and that I was longing for was found only in the person of Jesus Christ who has defeated death and who offers eternal life to those who would trust in him. That's his testimony, that God delivered him in that way. That's my testimony, and that's your testimony. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe the details of your life don't look like mine. Maybe you have a totally different story, but we have this in common. We all came to some point in our life when we realized that without God's deliverance, our soul is lost. He's the only one that can help us. And so we pray to him, Lord, deliver my soul. And he did. He did. (laughs) Amen. And now we can say with the author of this psalm that our God is merciful. And when I was brought low, he saved me. He delivered my soul from death and some, some expression of that, whatever words you want to use to communicate that, that is like the foundation of our testimony, of a powerful testimony, is salvation. The second component is joy. He says, You have delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears. This writer is describing not only a spiritual problem, but an emotional problem as well the spiritual problem is death it creates this emotional problem of anguish and when we receive that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ he solves both problems at once because he sets us free from the sentence of death which sets us free from the emotional shackles of anguish and at that point the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to take up residence in us and enable us to experience something known as the joy of the Lord. You know the joy of the Lord? I can see some of you smiling and nodding. You're like, the joy of the Lord, that is a good thing. That is a beautiful thing. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then in the New Testament, joy is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, it just produces this God-given joy of the Lord. It's something different than happiness. It may include happiness, but it doesn't always. It's like deeper and more profound than that. I like what the old, uh, old-time Christian author S.D. Gordon said about that. He wrote this about 100 years ago. He said, joy is distinctly a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. But joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. See, the idea there is that happiness depends on, it's a, it's a feeling that is dependent on circumstances. Joy is a feeling that can overcome your circumstances. It is transcendent of your circumstances. Having the joy of the Lord does not mean that you go around with a plastic smile plastered on your face all the time. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to go, uh, like, you're not supposed to uh, get sad or upset or afraid or anxious or anything. As a person who's been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years, I can testify that I have felt all of those things regularly over the years as I go through the realities of life. But having the joy of the Lord, I can tell you that I'm not overwhelmed or overcome by those things anymore. Because I have a hope that I didn't have before. That underlying feeling of hopelessness is gone. That existential despair has been taken away and replaced by this eternal hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And this sense that God is with me. So whatever happens will be for his glory and he will give me the strength to get through it and this has been transformative to me Uh, you know to be honest I've never been a naturally like effusive kind of happy-go-lucky type of personality Uh, (laughs) that's pretty obvious right I don't know but something Happened when Jesus came into my life, there started to be a difference in me that people close to me even started to remark on. And I remember somebody used the phrase like, you just seem a little brighter now. Like somebody found like the dimmer switch on you and just turned it up a little bit. And that's not something that I tried to do. It was something that was the natural... Uh, the natural flow out of the presence of God in my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little brighter. It might be because the Lord has delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears. You know, that's my testimony. He has given me salvation, and he has given me joy. And that is, that, those are the first two of the essential components. Some expression of that reality is, is part of our story as Christians. The third part of this verse says, you have delivered my feet from stumbling. And we're going to call that sanctification. Sanctification, I know it's kind of a churchy word, but let me, let me define what I mean by sanctification. I looked it up on dictionary.com. <laughs> One of the things it said is that sanctification is the action or process of being purified. The word sanctify literally means to set apart for special use. And that idea is kind of uh, elaborated on in this quote, which I will give you. I know that Wikipedia is not the most reliable resource we have in the world, but I like the way they describe this. So I'm I'm, going to share this. I think it's helpful. They say that sanctification, the term can be used to refer to objects which are set apart for special purposes, like in a religious ceremony or whatever. But the most common use within Christian theology is in reference to the change brought about by God in a believer, begun at the point of salvation, and continuing throughout the life of the believer. Yeah. Praise God for that. So when this psalm writer says, you have delivered my feet from stumbling, he's saying, God, now that you have delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears, now you're, you're helping me learn to walk properly. I used to have a lot of trouble <laughs> with that, and you've come in because this is what God does as we move forward in the Christian life post-salvation. God works with us to keep our feet from stumbling back into sin and stumbling down the wrong path in life. He sets our feet on the right path. This is like uh, part of that baptism story when the person talks about how God has changed them. I, I, used to, I used to live like this. I used to do all sorts of ungodly things. But now, you know, God has changed my direction in life I'm walking in his ways as best I can this is called sanctification then just a couple things about it in closing uh, first of all it's important to notice that this component comes the last of the three right it, there's a, there's a progression to it first he saves your soul then he gives you joy and from there moving on he keeps your feet from stumbling which is the sanctification process? A lot of times, people get that reversed. Um, it can happen with people who don't know the Lord. They'll say, "Like, uh, I, I can't, I, I can't come to Jesus right now. I'm not, I can't go back to church. I'm not ready to pray. I need to, I need to get cleaned up first. I need to stop doing X, Y, or Z. I need to get this or that out of my life, and then, then I can come to God and start having a relationship with Him." But it's the it's the opposite that is true. God, We are invited to come and bring all of our mess and all of whatever is in our lives, bring it to God, get forgiveness and salvation and deliverance. And f- moving on from there, he will begin this process of, salvation, of sanctification. Even as believers, we can get that reversed. And we can start to have this approach to the Christian life where we feel like we need to be sanctified enough to sort of earn the salvation that we've been supposedly given as a gift, right? Like God saved me by his grace, but now I have to be a good enough Christian to deserve it. But here's a newsflash. We don't deserve it. We never will. Uh, The the goodness, any goodness that we have in our lives comes as a response to the free gift of salvation that we've been given and comes in cooperation with this ongoing work that his uh, spirit is doing in our lives called sanctification. So first it's salvation, then it's sanctification. I also want to point out that this sanctification is... A process, it's not an event, which means it doesn't happen all at once. You don't get saved and then, boom, you're just clean, you never sin again. I mean, if that were the case, our lives would be entirely different. <laughs> but I think anybody who's been walking with the Lord for any length of time will tell you that you continue to struggle with this sin nature and you find yourself having to ask, God's forgiveness for this or that thing along the way often on a daily basis because this sanctification is a process. It's a lifelong process where God, by His Spirit, is shaping us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ with each passing day, with each passing month, with each passing year. And we're going to make mistakes along the way. And we're going to fall down, and God's going to pick us up and keep us moving. This is his promise, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We need to remember that so that we don't get discouraged Uh, When we make those mistakes along the way and fear that we have lost this gift, we can't lose it. God is faithful. And this process, this ongoing work that God does in our lives, it becomes a component of our testimony because everybody can relate to it. Everybody can relate to this ongoing awareness of your own imperfection, this sense that you're not living up to God's standard. And so we encourage each other, don't give up. God is patient with us. God is still with us. And he is still committed to helping us become more and more like Jesus as he continues this uh, process of sanctification in our lives. And our sharing these stories with each other becomes part of the way we encourage each other through these testimonies in the life of our church as believers. So all of these things are essential components of a powerful testimony. Salvation, joy, sanctification. And they can serve as the building blocks of our own testimony of faith. Think about what those things look like in your own life. And your testimony doesn't need to be an eloquent argument or a theological dissertation. Just start with, I love the Lord because... And then proceed with your eyewitness testimony of what you've experienced. Tell the story of your own relationship with God in a way that is personal and honest, remembering how he has delivered your soul from death, your eyes from tears, and your feet from stumbling. And may God receive all the glory.